Welcome to CFIR Ministries with James Myers. In this series, we are studying the book of Acts. Today we discuss Paul's journey to Rome, which was interrupted by being shipwrecked. James illustrates the Christian life as such a journey, and how we can find strength in the midst of our storms by seeking Christ. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at cfire.org. And you can also view James's latest videos on YouTube at CFIR Ministries. We hope this message serves to strengthen and build up the church. All right, so we're going to read through Acts chapter 27. Again, this is the second to last chapter, final chapter we'll consider God willing next week. So Acts chapter 27. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramitium, I'm sorry, I've tried all week, <laughs> we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. When we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, the city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because of the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men have perceived that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northeast in winter there. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long, but not long after, a temp- tempestuous wind, headwind arose called Euroclidon. It's literally southeast, southeast winds. Now when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under, under the shelter, shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the Syrtis sands, they struck sail, and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the, the ship. On the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me, and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this great this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the, of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men. For I believe, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. And when the fourteenth night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, 
About midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land, and they took soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be fifteen fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them to all take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you avoided and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. And they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, there were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. They let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for the shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow struck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, waiting, wanting to save Paul, kept them from the purpose, and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. He who has ears to hear the word of God, let him hear it. Our Father and our God, I pray for your presence in this place. I pray for your presence in our hearts and in our minds to hear and see your testimony. This great and dangerous voyage to Rome that you have called to your purpose. Let us consider what you have in this account, what you have in this story through your servant, Paul. Lift up your name to us, my God. We might see you and hear you. In precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask you. Amen. Okay, so this account, we are going to fairly quickly exposit and then most of what we're going to talk about is a generalization of this account, where I'm possibly going to over-spiritualize this, but I think Luke is giving us this account for a reason, the way he's giving it for a reason. But first, when it was decided we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan Regiment. So this is a very important figure, and he's basically over a thousand men. Okay, and we have his name, Julius. So entering a ship of Adramatium, Adramatium, why is that so difficult? It's not hard. We put to sea, meaning to sail across the coast, along the coast of Asia. So they wanted to, the first ship that they get on is actually a coastal ship. It's only meant for the coast. It's meant to ride along the coast. So they take that up just a little ways. 
Aristarchus in Macedonia of Thessalonica was with us. We've seen him before. He was with Secundus as well. So now Luke is saying Aristarchus and myself, so we, and he's naming this one individual. There's speculation that Timothy was also a part of this, um, but we don't see it. So I'm not going to get into that. So we have the name of one of these companions. This is a very faithful companion of Paul. And basically, he's been helping Paul in Caesarea, and now he, he and Luke are joining in this very dangerous journey. This isn't a guaranteed deal. I mean, maritime activity then was potentially dangerous. It still is. It's still a very, a very dangerous proposition. There's not a guarantee that you're going to make it. And we'll see. They kind of pushed their luck in, in this regard. So we have uh, Aristarchus and, uh, and Luke. And the next day we landed at Sidon, that's, that's slightly south of, of Caesarea. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. And we saw that this liberty was already granted to Paul. And Julius is, is continuing that. that he's, he's still you know, exercising that with, with Paul. Paul. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Now, real quick, let's go back to that, though, because he, he let Paul, he gave Paul some liberty, right? So he's able to go out and hang out with his friends and talk and, and minister to his buddies, ministers to, minister to his brethren. And this, the centurion is trusting him. Now, Paul could just escape, right? But again, he will only do that when God calls him to do that. He could have escaped from the prison, but he is given liberty. And because Julius trusts him, he's not going to break that trust. He's a man of God. He would never do that. So let's just take heed and exercise that same restraint. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. So this was a ship, obviously, from Alexandria of Egypt. Grand, grand ship, most likely, but this one's meant to go, to go through the sea. So that's all he's saying. And then it put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with diff difficulty uh, off Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near the city of Lycia. Now, now what's likely the case is this is right around October, or at least heading into October. The time of winter is the time you wouldn't sail, which would mostly be November, December, and January, but October is part of that mix. So they're already encountering problems, even now. They're encountering problems. Now, when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over. So that's what he's saying, the fast of that's that's in that time period so luke is giving us the time frame so we know it's right around october paul advised them saying men paul advised them men i perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss not only of the cargo and ship but also our lives so the cargo th this would be for trade journeys too so you're, you're going to join a ship that's taking wheat and, and goods and and so forth so that's part of the cargo on the ship which we will see they don't have to dump over, but we'll get there, God will. Um, so, nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. The, helms, the helmsman is basically a captain. Luke uses so many, going back, to the, he, that he is the most attested ancient writer in history, especially in ancient history. Historians even say there is no 
seafaring account in all of the world, ancient world, that gives us as many details as Luke. And, and even especially what they were due and how the sailing was. Not in even Homer's Iliad, which has all sorts of seafaring you know, journeys. Not even in that. Not even that. Not even in the book of Jonah. Luke, who's a physician, he's not, he wasn't part of the Royal Navy or anything. He, he's, a, he's giving us an account from a layman's perspective. He's not an expert in, in shipping, but he's a great student of history and facts, that's how, he, that's how he wrote the Gospel of Luke, that's how he wrote the book of Acts. So he's probably asking the helmsmen and all the, all the sailors, hey, what is this called? <laughs> what does this do? What is this called? And then he, he transmits that to us. So I just wanted to say, again, this is just one more indicator of, of the absolute authenticity of the Word of God. So, the centurion, though, is more persuaded by the captain. Understandably, right? Paul is no expert, you know, in sailing. So, I think I'm going to listen to the captain. He listens to the owner. Now, the owner is, has a bias here. The owner of the ship wants to get paid. He doesn't want to wait for winter to pass. He don't want to wait three months. You know, that's losing money. You know, he wants his profit. So, the, the owner has a bias. The, the captain likely has a bias, but the captain is less likely, less incentivized to put himself in danger. The captain probably thinks this is going to be no problem. I think, you know, the weather's, yeah, we, we had some issues and stuff, but I think from here we're going to be okay. I know y'all encountered, because he wasn't actually part of that ship, but so I know y'all encountered some difficulty getting here, but getting to Rome shouldn't be all that difficult. We might run into some issues, but more or less we're fine. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter, and the majority advised to set sail from there also. So again, this is just one other reason we need to go here. This place isn't even suitable to winter here. To winter it means you have to, you would stay there, obviously, because it's too dangerous to, to go on, go upon the sea. So you would winter there. You would stay there. You would lodge there. Um, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, we don't know where Phoenix was. Uh, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. So they just want to get here to Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, and winter there. Just want to get to this specific destination. So kind of make part of the journey and then finish it up after the winter. When the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. So the south wind began, that, that they know was coming... It starts blowing softly. It's softly. So they, they're, th they're thinking, perfect. We, we, call, we made the right call. We're safe. We're fine. It's just a soft wind. It's just a soft wind. We're good. We're safe. So they sailed close by Crete. But not, all, not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. Again, that, what, I, what I already mentioned, that's a southeastern wind. Hard, hard-pressing wind, which would come right before winter and during winter. Just like when in Texas, when it's starting to get cold, it gets insanely windy, which we are going to be noticing even today. So anyway, that's what's happening. You know, these winds are, are intensifying. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. Basically, Luke is saying we couldn't control it. We couldn't control it. The, the winds were too strong, and so we just let her go. We just let the wind take her to where she would go. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the ship, sh skiff with difficulty. 
So the skiff is basically the lifeboat. It's, you know, they would have a couple, but this one seemingly only has one, but they secured it, okay? Probably getting all tossed aside, and there was a danger of losing it, so they secured it. They brought it into the boat, and they secured it with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the serious sands, they struck sail, and so were driven. So basically, they think that they're a little bit too close to the coast right now. Let's let the wind take us a bit further out. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. So they're already starting to lighten the ship. Some of that cargo. So some of the profit, some of the reason Sonar was insisting that they go ahead and go. Some of it, they're tossing overboard already. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. So Luke is saying, we did this ourselves. I'm giving you eyewitness testimony. We were part of this as well because basically all of our lives are in danger, so we're all joining and committed to saving each other. Okay. Um, now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. This is their only indicator of where to go. Sun or stars. They are lost literally lost in the middle of nowhere and they have no idea where they're going and they have no idea where to even start heading they're completely lost let's remember that as i go into my spiritualizing <laughs> um so they they thought they were all going to die but after long abstinence from food then paul st because they're basically rationing now they don't know Possibly, you know, if we can just ride this out, maybe somebody will find somebody or maybe the sun will come back up and maybe we'll find some stars finally. The, the, the sky will clear up and we'll be able to. So they're rationing. So they're being very careful about when they eat. So that's what he's saying. After long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. This isn't some boastful remark of Paul. Paul is, Paul is basically saying, Julius, Julius, you've been around. You've been around these two years. You know what's been going down in Caesarea. You know, and you know, you know why you've given me liberty. You know you can trust me. You know I'm a man of God, and you can trust me. So you should have listened to me. You shouldn't have listened to some man who is basically impartial anyway and greedy. I had no... I had no selfish motivation to not set sail. I just know I'm meant to go to Rome. <laughs> so, so I warned you. I warned you to winter here. I'm, I know God has called me to Rome and I want to get there badly, but I'm not impatient. I'm, I, I'm waiting upon God. So I, I know what's going to come. So you should have listened to me. We'll, we'll return to that. Um, and now I urge you to take heart though. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. We'll return to that. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought, you must be brought before Caesar. First of all, I had I, you know, Christ had promised it. The Lord had promised it. So you must be delivered up to Caesar. This is going to happen, Paul. This, do not be afraid. I know all hope seems to be lost. Do not be afraid. Again, again, just lifting his spirits again. You must be brought to Caesar, and indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. If you forget everything else, don't forget that. We will return to that, but don't forget that. Indeed, God has granted you all those, all those who sail with you will not 
perish. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. So he already knows by this revelation, he doesn't know what island, you know, God reveals what he, what we need, what we need. He's wanting to reassure Paul, and so he gives, us, he gives him the information he needs. Paul doesn't need to know what island it is, so he doesn't know. He just knows that they're going to strike an island, but not one of them is going to be lost. Not one. Just like Christ, not one that the Father has given me has been lost except the son of perdition. Not one perishes in this account. Now when the fourteenth night had come, as we were driven up and down the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be fifteen fathoms. So soundings are basically this cable that's about five to six feet long. So, you know, if you do the math, twenty, you know, twenty soundings, so it's about 120 feet down. So they know, and then it's 15, so it's about 90 feet down very quickly. So basically, they know that they're about to strike land soon, okay? That's, that's why Paul, Luke is including this. Then fearing, lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. They can't see anything right now. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from, so just imagine this, they're taking soundings because they can't see. So they're doing anything they can, they can do with being limited as to what they can see. Okay, well, again, we'll return to that. And so they prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, y'all cannot be saved. That's plural. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall. So, these, some of these sailors act like they're going to drop the anchors like they were supposed to. But instead, they start trying to get into the, into the skiff, into the lifeboat. They're trying to escape. They think this, this Paul's insane. <laughs> this is insane. Everybody's going to die on this ship. You know, they're gonna, we're going to hit, we're going to run aground on rock. Our only hope is to, this is what we're going to do, okay? Because they're determined to, do the, to go this route. Let's get together, get in a lifeboat, and save ourselves. So, Paul says, unless these men stay in the ship, y'all cannot be saved. God has promised that all of these men, so all of these men need to heed the call of God. Okay, if, if they leave, then not all of y'all are going to be saved. Basically, he's not saying all of y'all are going to perish. But he says, y'all cannot be saved. So, make sure that they don't go. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes off this, on the, of the skiff and let it fall. Julius is now listening to Paul. And he, and he orders the soldiers to cut the lifeboat off. That is faith. That's faith. Any, any hope now of anything. Basically, what Paul has said, what, what was revealed to Paul, I trust entirely. And we'll get rid of any other avenue of possible salvation. Because the only way of salvation is in and through his revelation and his providence. So Julius knows that now. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. So they have not eaten anything for two weeks. And again, this, 
this is the only time this is mentioned, but I think this has happened many, fairly decent amount of time. So this is taking a while. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is your, for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. Basically, not only are you going to be saved, you are not going to be harmed. Not one single hair is going to fall from your head. God knows the number of the hairs that are on your head. And he's promising not one of those will fall off. Not only am I going to save you from this great disaster, I will save you entirely. Just like he saves us entirely. He doesn't just save part of us. He doesn't just save part of our soul. He doesn't just save us from some of our sins and then some of them will be judged for. Not a one. Not a one. Our entire selves are saved to him. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat, just like our Lord Jesus Christ did. I, I, I cannot speculate that, that he had the Lord's Supper with these unbelievers. I, in my rose-colored speculation, I think Julius is at least coming to Christ. It doesn't say it, but as I've told you before, many indications say, suggest that many people were coming to Christ that Luke doesn't include. That doesn't mean they didn't come to Christ. He would, he would talk, remember that demon-possessed little girl? I'm pretty confident she came to Christ. Luke doesn't say it. I think Julius, certainly exercising the faith of, of a believer, and so, but he's not, believers are the only ones who are, who are supposed to take the Lord's Supper. You're always supposed to check your heart and make sure you are actually part of his people. It's, it's, it's a severe warning that actually Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. So uh, he's not giving it to them, but I think he is symbolizing his Savior. You know, it, it, he, he had to have given the gospel. You know, again, we, Luke does not give us all the information, but he had to have given them the gospel. And I think he's taking it, he's thanking God just like Christ, he's showing this is just like my Lord. This bread, which is broken for you, should you receive him. I think Paul is evangelizing here. I think it's a wonderful account. So when they'd eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. Basically, now anything. Now, basically, if we're stuck here, we have nothing to eat now either. Everything is tossed off, off the ship. Every single possibility. If this thing doesn't work out, they're going to die. Let me put it that way. It's as simple as that. They are relying completely on this revelation that God has given to this fellow Paul, whom they don't really know. <laughs> but they know they should have used his advice and so forth. And I get, I have my own speculation. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. So basically, they're, they're stuck, they're stuck, but the ship is still breaking. The prow is in the front of the, the ship. So it's still breaking apart. Okay, so now it's time to get off. They're close enough on shore. Now it's time to get off. 
And the, but the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. This would be the tendency back then. I mean, this is just what they would do. Their lives are saved, but lest they, they escape, this is what we're going to do. But the, but the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. The centurion wanted to save Paul, but he also didn't let them kill any of the others. God had told Paul not one of them would die, and Julius is not going to make that be the one to break that promise. So Julius commands that they don't. I can't tell you how exceptional that is. I can't tell you, you know, read your history. This is just what they would do. To them, this, is this makes sense. It's rational. Again, justice wasn't as big of a deal. And just logistically, you, we can't think of our contemporary day where the prisoners are like locked up in the back of the van, you know, in the back of this huge bus or anything. That's not the situation. They're basically, they're basically left to basically trust that these, these prisoners are gonna s swim to the same place that they do and just give themselves up again. And so they're, they're left to be, that's very unlikely, right? <laughs> it's very unlikely. So we're gonna put them to death. The centurion is not having that. So he commanded those who could swim, jump, over, jump overboard first and get to land. So those of you who can swim, get in there and, and swim to land. And the rest, those who can't swim, some on board, so float on the board, kick, you know, your way to shore. <laughs> um, and some uh, on parts of the ship, so other floating devices as well. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Okay. Like I said, some it can be dangerous honestly honestly it can be dangerous over spiritualizing all these things but i cannot help we've seen the tendency of luke over and over and over again the reason why he's giving us this account the tempestuous seas of our journey of our pilgrimage is what luke is pointing to i believe and so that that's what I want to share with you. So they first set off to land. This Julius, Julius knows, knows that Paul is trustworthy. He starts with knowing that Paul is trustworthy. He trusts him to the extent of letting him leave his custody to go off with and see his friends and his brethren and minister. So he starts with trusting him. Then they sail off. They're on the coast for a while and they start hitting some problems. Some brief little problems. Just like when you first come to Christ, you're going to start being buffeted by small little problems. Right? And then, you reach the coast, and Paul warns them. This trustworthy man, meaning right now, to Julius, he's just a trustworthy man. So, Julius, this is a difficult decision for Julius. This is a different, difficult decision. I need to get these people to Rome. I need to at least make more headway than here. And if, if, if the captain of the ship, Paul, if the captain and the owner of the ship, Paul, who doesn't sail and doesn't really know anything about this, I mean, I really trust you. I appreciate your advice, but I think I'm going to go ahead and trust the advice of men. Of men. Because right now I just see you as a man. And he is still a man, but he obviously he's enlightened by God. So he's left with a difficult decision here. Okay. Should I stay or should I go? You know, so he chooses to listen to the advice of the men. And at first, at first, everything seems fine. Everything's peaceful and lovely. Just like when we come to Christ, we start hitting some 
hitting some problems, and then all of a sudden, we think, we think we're on top of the mountain. Everything's serene. Everything's clear. You can see the sunshine. You see nothing but sunshine. And then at night, you see nothing but the sky full of stars and all of its wonders. Orion's belt, the bear, everything. You know, you see the wonders of heaven. See, everything's perfect. And you think that's the way it should be. This is why I came to Jesus. This is why I believe in God. Because He took away all my problems. And again, I've told you, I didn't know what problems were until I came to Christ. So, they think everything's peaceful. They're on top of the mountain. On top of the hill. Living the good life. Then the storm. Then the tempestuous winds start to blow. Start to blow hard. Start to rock your world and you're driven to and fro in great fear for your life until basically you're left to assume you're lost you're a dead man you're gone and lost all of a sudden the sun goes away sunlight the sunshine goes away all of a sudden you can't see one star at night anymore all of a sudden everything's dark Everything's dark, and you are dr being driven to and fro from the world, but also from God. They should have heeded the advice of the minister, and we will return to... Well, we'll go ahead and get into that. Okay, look. This isn't boasting, okay, about ministry. Basically, I'll say this, right? Our, our, our confidence and our assurance... Our peace is found in God, and that is only transmitted through prayer and worship and fellowship, but His Word. So, if you happen to come across a man who, who God is filling with His Word, listen to Him. Otherwise, you will just continue on the sea being driven to and fro, and in the dark night of your soul. I'm not saying to listen to some man. Again, take the word of that minister and go like the Bereans to your Bible. This is your security. He is your security. But do not ignore the advice of, of men that God has called for that purpose. Otherwise, you leave yourself in the darkness. Otherwise, you put yourself into the storm. Otherwise, you make it to where your eyes are gouged out because you give your heart over to something other than God, which is typically ourselves. Our, we ourselves are typically our greatest gods. And then God comes second. Tear that down. Ask God to tear that wall down. Tear down the wall of your pride. Tear down the wall of any of your misconstrued blindness. It's dark. It's dark there. I know it. You know I know it. It's pitch black. Don't put yourself there. Heed his word. Listen to your Savior. Listen to our God. And if you come across a man who knows anything about it, maybe he's wrong from time to time. Take heed to his advice. See it as 
at least more valuable, at least to be considered more than men. Whether they're experts, as the church is so inclined to do, there is one true expert, and he is infallible. He's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's perfect and eternal. They're just men. They're just men, a lot of which, a lot of whom have devised these things of, off of a presupposition that we have talked about. Let them remain in darkness. And pray to God, though, that, they, that he brings them to his light. Thank you very much. We should have our phones turned off. I forgot to have the announcement, but program free uh, service. Now, listen. I want look. I want us to see in this account because we will have one more chapter in the book of Acts that, that shows or reflects some of this. The people are more apt to listen to Paul after he's bitten by a poisonous snake and doesn't die. But these people should have listened to him. Heed your God. And should you come under the ministry of a man of God, listen to him. Listen to him. Take his advice. Take it. it tends to be a little bit better than our own. We give ourselves the worst advice. We think the world is crashing in. We think that darkness is because somebody else's fault. Somebody else put me in this storm. Even if that is the case, God is faithful. Seek Him. Seek Him. No one can save you out of that darkness but Him. Not even the minister. No one can deliver you out of that storm but Him. So, they all, they lose all hope of survival. They are absolutely lost. And God sends an angel to Paul to tell him, don't fear. Don't fear. Because they say we all lost hope. We all thought we were doomed to die. Apparently, including Paul. Including Paul. Paul heard from the Lord himself that he would be delivered up to Rome. So even Paul needs to be reassured. <laughs> He's not... Jesus, we all need reassurance. We all need his testimony to be reassured for our security, for our assurance. So this angel comes to him and tells him, don't be afraid. You must go before Caesar. This is, this is what we've, I've called you to. This is what God has called you to. And again, the Lord even promised. And this is your great witness. You, are, you know you're going to be martyred. You know you are going to be martyred, and God is faithful in sending you there. So don't fear. Don't fear. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe that God, I believe God that it will be just as it was told to me. However, we must run aground on that certain island. So, indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. The minister prays with broken heart and tears for those he ministers to. 
I pray to God, this is so. I'm granted you all those who sail with you, all those who join you in the tempestuous winds and the storms. I pray all of us are delivered safely to our final and greatest home in the presence of him, of he who we will finally see face to face. But all of those have been granted to Paul on account of Paul. God is amazingly providential and his faithfulness has no end. Not only will you not perish, Paul, and your buddies Luke and <laughs> Aristarchus, but not one of them, not any of these men. I make it rain on the just and the unjust, on the fool and the wise, on the believer and the unbeliever. His providence stretches farther than just his people. So he assures Paul, not only will you be saved, but every one of you. When the fourteenth night had come, and they were driven up and down the Adriatic Sea, at midnight the sailors sensed, so they know that it's about to happen. They're about to, be, they're about to strike ground. Now they are believing Paul. At least Julius is. At least Julius is. This great leader which will transcend, you know, transfer into the rest of the men, just like we saw the centurion, you know, in, in, with the account of Peter. So that's what's happening. That's what's happening. They're, they're, they're approaching even a greater danger now, though. The wind is one thing. The wind is one thing. The end of that gray storm isn't always just perfect peace. Sometimes, sometimes it ends with a great wreck, great destruction. And that's what they're fearing. That's, they know it's coming, though. They know it's coming because the testimony of God has told them. So they're feeling it up. They're still blind. They're still in the darkness. They can't see. They can only see by one thing. They only know because of one thing, the revelation of God, that they will be delivered. But they're not, they're not just like none of his people should. They are not going to sit back and just wait it out, not do anything. They're still going to look out for the safety of all of those who are on board. So they start taking soundings, seeing how close they are so that they can prepare. So that they can prepare. So that's what they do. They can, they're starting to hear. God has opened their ears. Still can't see. God has not opened their eyes. They're taking soundings. They know it's approaching. So then, some of those who still don't trust God decides, decide, let's do this. They're all going to die. <laughs> okay. Just like the fallen men and women are inclined to do. They think we're all perishing. They think we're all fools. And so they make their own way. They make their own way. They try to make their own way for their own safety and leave everybody else to be destroyed. And Paul implores Julius. I think Paul knows Julius is going to listen to him now. I think, again, I think Julius is a believer at this point. Large speculation. But Paul tells him, Unless, unless that doesn't happen, you know, if they end up going, 
you're all not going to be delivered. You're not all going to be saved. Let's make sure this doesn't happen. This is one of the first tests, Julius. It's one of the first tests of your... It's not a blind faith. There's one lifeboat. There's one salvation. There's only one way. It is by His providence. It is by His grace. So tear away all your false securities. Tear that away. Don't don't look at this lifeboat. You know what's happening. You know what's going on. God has revealed to you that not a one should perish. So tear down this supposed lifeboat that will only kill you. You think it'll save you. It'll only kill you. It'll only destroy you. So tear down tear that down. Julius makes it to where tear it down. And all of a sudden, they're hungry. You know, they get hungry, obviously. They, they, they have gone 14 days, two weeks without eating. And Paul, we, we consider that slightly, so I'll just briefly, again, reiterate. Paul is preaching here. Paul is preaching here. This is kind of the closing salvo of this account. Paul is finally giving him his one last witness before they... They strike ground, and he tells them, Men, we're weak. We're weak right now. We've been starving. We've been in the darkness. We've been pushed to and fro on the sea, thinking we were doomed. We need to eat. We need our daily portion. We need to be filled with the bread of heaven. We're all weak men and women outside of being fed by the bread and by the Lamb of God. That's what he's showing. He breaks the bread not to join in communion with, like, as, as if all of them were saints, but he is preaching to them. He probably did have communion with Luke, Aristarchus, and God willing, Julius. And I think he's preaching at this point. So, finally, and by the way, again, there were 276 people on this ship, and God is promising through this great disaster, not one hair is going to fall from their head. The likelihood of that happening is zero. It's like negative 100%. Not, I mean, come on, you don't run aground on a shore in this huge ancient boat, and not one of them are even harmed. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. It takes a miracle. It takes a providence only by God to do this. So, 276 men. And finally, when they're filled, they lighten the ship. They got rid of everything, even the wheat. Everything's gone now. They are utterly depending on God. That's when they're delivered. That's when they're delivered. And God even provides for those who can't swim. <laughs> you know, if you can swim, get out, go to the land. Those who, those who have enough revelation to at least take the journey upon the sea themselves without any help, go. The rest, here's some floating devices. Here's some providence. Here's, here's God still delivering you to the land and saving you. Now,
Paul, again, calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. The Greek word is doulos. It's literally a slave. Paul has given himself over. So the minister to whom I'm asking you to seek advice from is a slave. Is a slave to God. He's not a slave to your hopes and dreams. He's not a He's less a slave to himself. He's not perfect. None of us are perfect. But he's a slave to Christ. Happily slave to Christ. For he's been bought with his blood. Paul also says, he, he has this thorn in the flesh that we will get to, God willing, if we come across this. But God said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We considered Samson this morning before this. We are only strong in our weakness. When we rely upon ourselves, we find ourselves in the storm on ourselves in the darkness. When we seek our Savior, He shows us real strength. He gives us real strength. He gives us His truth and His endurance, His boldness. I always got to get chime in from my wife's stomach. Walk the narrow path. The crooked path is easy. It's easy to stumble around in life, going wayward, backward and forward, and relying upon your eyes for strength. God is your only strength. God is our only providence. We don't exist without Him. Therefore, we're not saved or strengthened without Him. Let us... Let us with true sight of faith, walk this life's journey to His glory, not our own. You will never make a crown for yourself. You will never, no matter what you do in this life, no matter what you do, you cannot develop and create and mold your own crown. You can serve your king you can serve your king and you will still be tossed, and fro tossed to and fro. You will still be put in the furnace to be refined. I'm not telling you life is easy once you come to Christ. Life is hard enough without him anyway. But believe it or not, sometimes it actually is harder being in him. The devil doesn't care for us. He will send legions upon legions, storms upon storms, Darkness upon darkness, starless nights upon starless nights, sunless days upon sunless days. God is our light. God is our peace. God is our strength. God is our sight. God is our word. God is our truth. God, through Christ, is our life. May we seek to sail this voyage 
for as long as it as long as we have to reach that great eternal home where in his father's house are many mansions or not so he would have told us Christ went to prepare a place for us that where he is we can be also that's our home that's our home and again we get a taste of that here so when you find yourself on the highest waves when you find yourself bereft of any hope look to heaven look to God look to your Savior who is always true who is always faithful men and women will only fail you I mean and even with their best intentions, even their best will still fail you. God will never fail you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the only one whom we can truly trust and we should truly trust. There's not a man or a woman in this world that can bring you peace, like the peace you need. There's not one in this world who can bring you light, like the light you need. There's only one, there's only one who came in the flesh to do that for his people. Not one of them will lose a hair on their head. He will deliver all of them whole to himself. The Father has given him, them, to him, us, to him, so that he might see the blessing, his travails, and be satisfied basically his sufferings. Christ didn't forget the cross. Just like God sees Christ when he sees us, Christ sees us when he sees the cross. Cross. What an amazing God. Good luck to any of you out there who want to find someone greater, someone truer, someone faithful, someone real. Amazing. This is reality. This is reality. The God of heaven and earth created all things, sustains all things, and now is saving people to himself, the people who are determined to hate him. He is chosen to love and to bring by his own providence, not because of anything we do, and we know that. We know that. He saves us despite us, not because of us. He saves us because He has written our names in the book of life. So, let us find our peace in Him. It's the only place where it can be found. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, your abundant grace Your limitless mercy, your love, and your affection are too high and too wonderful, for your name is wonderful. They're inexhaustible, they're incomprehensible, and yet we can conceive them somewhat. So I ask, give whatever little glimpses we can, we can see, I ask, you deliver us out of the darkness, to 
deliver us out of the storming seas. We might find our peace and our light in you, along where we can be found. Father, be with us. Lift us up to you, that we might glorify you and magnify your great name now and forever. In the name of your Lord Jesus Christ, we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life.